Thanks for checking out this CU podcast special that we recorded live from Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Stick around afterwards for our coverage of the newly announced Analog 3D N64 FPGA system. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo 2023. It's Friday the 13th weekend. Alongside my pal, Ian Ferguson. Hi. Howdy. I'm Pat Concrete. Oh, wow. I should have known that was coming. I should have retired last year. I should have retired before my 15th year on YouTube this year. 15 years and 10 years of the CU Podcast. That's right. Because while we're here today, we're going to do a podcast. We've got 45 minutes of fun, 43 minutes we'll be talking about. Some fun things, what we've been up to. A review of a certain independent game that was going to be an exclusive for a certain game console that's never going to come out. <laughs> and an update on the WADA Games federal class action lawsuit. We love a little law. People are yeah, law, judges. We love a little law. Subpoenas, depositions. Document production. So, Ian, what's been going on in your, your world? Uh, I, um, I, I, uh, I decided to take up bird watching last week. Are you hanging out with Frank doing that? No, no, I, uh, so I decided that I like birds. Everyone likes birds. No one's like, no, no, I hate no, birds. No, 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 I did not like them for a long, long time. Of course you didn't. I didn't, I didn't, I, I thought they were useless. Um, useless? Dumb and useless. They got in the way. They, they kill all the mosquitoes and bugs and stuff, keep the ecosystem. But by going to the San Diego Zoo, which has great aviaries, uh, I've learned to enjoy them, particularly the asshole birds. The louder the bird is, the more annoying the bird is, the more I like it. Yeah! Ow! Ow! Uh, is, that, is that one of the bird calls you learned? <laughs> no, no. Uh, so, um, squawk! I, uh, I, I, so I, it, it, Amazon Prime Day, you know, Amazon's evil, but I found a pair of binoculars. Binoculars for okay. $17. Needing two binoculars. Two of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so now I have binoculars and I look at the birds. And oh. I don't intend on ever learning their names. Oh, fr- you gotta hang out with Frank then. Frank I don't, don't want to learn the birds' names. I just, I just want to say, hey, in the morning, go over to the sloop, take a peek. Sure. A, creeper, a bird creeper. I'm sure there's apps that can help you identify them if you want. Yeah. Or, or get some field guides. I have an extra, probably one or two. Frank has 50 of them. Yeah. I think you should learn a little bit. Oh, maybe I should. Sure. Maybe I, will. I do have a book on watching pigeons. A book on watching pigeons. An entire book on pigeons. I feel like that should be a pamphlet. Okay. <laughs> what have you been up to? What have I been doing? I've been finishing up a certain N64 guidebook. <laughs> and so we're a year overdue, but it's coming out. And uh, so some page samples here, uh, you know, a full page for each game. All I said paint samples. All 400 games, both the North American, European, and the Japanese exclusives, including the Distrod games, huh? Full reviews. There, there's a there's a 64 Ozuno 2. That's the Sumo Wrestling game series. Banjo Kazooie. You have the the cartridge variants on there. I've even seen some of this before. Here. So yeah, this is going to be for pre-order very soon this fall. Look how nice. At ultimatenintendo.com, and then I'll do a Kickstarter. There's Carmageddon 64, and yes, I reviewed Carmageddon 64 and played through it all several hours. It took 
to finish that game. That's a favorite game. Well, love of the PC, Cruising USA, Donkey 64, the variants there with the nice color parts. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's been a labor. I don't want to say of love, but it's been a labor. <laughs> I feel like I've been his therapist for it. Oh, it's been it's been fun. Virtual Pro Wrestling got nice four, four and a half stars by by Dale Coolis. Dale reviewed all the pro wrestling games for the 64. Is that Virtual Pro Wrestling too? Awesome. The first one got four and a half. Two got five, I believe. It should. Virtual Pro Wrestling 2 is like one of the finest wrestling games out there. So there you go. So that's going to come out soon. You, you all excited about this? Yeah. Well, the, well, that's, I'm sorry. That's the Chrome variant. You're not supposed to see that. Uh-oh. Chrome Special Edition variant. This is, this is all unfinished, by the way, but this is kind of what it's going to look like. So that's... that's and then uh, let's go to our first topic. Um... What should I play here to get us in the mood? What'll be our first topic? Well, I'm, I'm, playing, well, I'm playing the Amico deep dive video of Shark Shark here that friends Thomas Tallarico um, and the engineer John Alvarado showed us. This'll be our... Ian, this was my burden to bear. Um, yes, it was. So we Ian, decided that this was uh, my burden. A lot of those out there don't know that the Intellivision Amico was to be a modern console uh, that sold you games between three and eight dollars originally. Two ninety nine to seven ninety nine, um, and it was going to be no multiplayer, all local couch no, no co-op, online, no online multiplayer, all couch co op. And you know, me and Ian, it was the same. We, we had some criticisms of it. We were we wished it luck, but we had some criticisms. As I. Some, a few. And then a certain CEO probably came after us and threatened to, you know, maybe do things behind the scenes about me and then said to make me and play his fine like an accordion. Yeah, and then like <laughs> wanted to come over and have to invite us to for pasta and things of that nature. By the way, this console was announced five years ago at this very convention. It was. Tommy was the keynote speaker and used that opportunity to promote a console that took in $17 million with almost nothing to show for it, and uh, built investors and pre-order folks who never got their pre-order uh, deposits back. So one of our criticisms about these games was that, why are these games exclusives? Why can't you play these games, I don't know, release them on the Xbox, Nintendo Switch, uh, Steam? We had a really gentle suggestion early on. Gentle, maybe. Gentle. Maybe you can maybe play these games with the platforms. We don't jump whole dick into the swimming pool and release. That doesn't mean anything. I made those words up, okay? Um, just right off the top of my head, I was like, that sounds good. Whole uh, dick. Whole dick right in the swimming pool. Um, so, we suggested maybe we test the waters. And you just put some of these games out under the Intellivision name on like a, a Switch, the PC. That was impossible, Tommy said. You could not do it. These games would only be played with the Space Age Intellivision Amico controller. I believe I used Astro Smith as an example publicly on Twitter, and Tommy clapped back, no, Pat, you don't, because he always put caps, no, Pat, you don't understand. These can only be played on the Intellivision Amico. Well, that's a lie. Years later, fast forward, fast now. forward, $17 million wasted, all the employees laid off, uh, these games are sitting somewhere. Not just one, two, but three games from the same company that would now the rights, BBG Entertainment in Europe. Two of them have come out, Shark Shark and Astro Smash with Dyna Blaster 
on the way soon. Yeah. So Intellivision sold the rights to this game, Shark Shark, and Astro Smash, which are going to be uh, packing games, I believe, one of them at least is a packing game. And there's physical products for both of these games, by the way, which of course does not give you access to playing these releases. Because why we're very careful about putting on the back of the box. They're not physical games. So I purchased these games as a keepsake. Keepsake. I thought they were given to you. Some were given, I bought purchased games. So me, me paying uh, $20 each does not give me access to these games. But Ian, Ian went and purchased and played Shark so, Shark. Here's what happened. Uh, we, these came out and uh, the, 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 the initial buzz, the rumblings, put you here to the grapevine. Uh, they said that the game was 35 minutes long, had 12 levels, uh, was, was functioning. Uh, these are $15. $15 is what they're charging for $15! That were originally supposed to be $2.99 to $7.99. Not quite $8. And uh, I didn't want to spend the money on this. But then I remembered something very important, especially when we're talking about a 35-minute game. Steam lets you refund a game within two hours. <laughs> two hours. Oh, funny. So I, uh, I strapped in. Set your timer. <laughs> I, I lit one up, got myself a, a, a diet coach, and I set about the task of reviewing Shark Shark. Uh, it's bad. So, um, how can we say it? The general vibe, just when you see it, before we get into gameplay. They see it on the screen. Is, uh, it looks like one of those games that you would see in the background of a sitcom. <laughs> one of those games that's not quite real. That someone is playing with a large controller that looks like an orb or something because it took forever for TV to get video games even close to realistic. Um, the art styles clash. You can see that they were going for a little bit of Finding Nemo with the clownfish, mm -hmm. but then you see the shark, and the shark looks like it's ripped right out of shark tail. It's just, it's bad. So nothing matches. Nothing matches. There is, later on in the game, there is like a stork that comes down, but like a stork face. And you know how it's fun to... Oh, by the way, spoilers, anyone spoilers, anyone wants to purchase the place. Spoilers, I'll make sure we... Spoilers. Yeah, you see it all. It has a breadth to offer you in 20 minutes. Um, you know in SpongeBob SquarePants where they cut in like the realistic stuff? That's what it looks like. It's just completely out of place. Sure. The controls of the game, the controls that were only going to be only doable. Only controller. Only. It's just analog. So the, the, the nature of the game is you start as a small fish, and you have to eat the smaller fish until you get bigger, and then you eat the bigger fish. All while avoiding the particular shark. Shark is a yield that went by. Um, you have to just eat enough fish to fill up a meter, and then you move on to the next level. That's it. That's it. Uh, there is, you know, some scoring elements. You'll see three shells at the bottom, and uh, they randomly open and have uh, either an extra life pearl, a gold pearl, or a silver pearl, which is worth less. This was part of what Tommy said made the game only playable on the, you see it right there, timing is perfect. On the screen, it was supposed to show you which shell was going to open next. Based on the color on the controller. Based on the color on the controller. 
while playing this masterpiece of a game, I realized that that was a horrible, horrible idea, and actually would have made the game far, far worse, sure. because everyone would just be waiting around for this thing, and then they'd all rush towards it. There's no strategy involved. It has yeah, nothing to do with it. would make it worse. Camping the shells, basically. Yeah, exactly. You just camp Shell camp. Sounds so bad. The, <laughs> the shark um, has pretty easy AI to trick, but it's very slow and boring. And basically what happens is, here's how the game goes. Little fish, eat, eat, eat. Now here's the shark. Do slow circles around the shark for about 30 seconds until the shark disappears. Eat some more. If you die, you become a small fish again. Okay. So what happens is it's just, it's really slow and boring, especially in one player. It may play slightly better in multiple players where okay. the shark isn't just going. Can't you nip the shark's tail and it'll turn around? You can nip the shark's tail, but it doesn't get rid of it. That would have made, like, that would have been a game design decision a that makes sense. Nip it like, a few times. Nip it, and then it goes away so sure. you can keep eating the fish. Um, there are three themes. There's pirate, coral, and I can't remember the last one. Oh, this is what I was going to get to. The ink of the spring. And they just keep adding these little things. So it starts with the shark. Then you get an electric eel that'll come by. Then you'll get the stupid bird. And uh, then you get these ink splotches, and that's about where I gave up on the game. I think it was around level nine out of 12. Um, randomly, they just throw ink splotches at the screen. So it's just oh, it's random, it's not even... Oh, you're just, playing the game. you're just playing the game and boom, ink on the screen. Here's how we're going to make the game more fun and challenging. We're just going to take away your visibility every oh, five thought, to fifteen seconds. I thought it was seconds. like an octopus or squid that did something. You're saying it just happens? Maybe, but I think it just happens. And either way, that, that's how they, that's how it affects the gameplay. Just there's nothing you can do to oh, make something. Something fired something. Right. Was it from the background? What was that? Yeah. Okay. But there's nothing you can do to make it stop. Okay. It, it, oh, it is an octopus, but it is random. Got there it. is no skill involved. You are just punished constantly by this ink. So they ran out of ideas by level nine, basically. Yes. I did not beat the game. I'm sorry. I, 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 I had seen Whoa. enough. I had seen enough. Not dedicated, Ian. Well, here's the thing. You only have two hours, right? I did not want to be stuck. <laughs> two hours of gameplay time or two hours in real time? Two hours of gameplay. Two hours. Two hours of gameplay time. Okay. When I refunded the game, I thought I had been playing for maybe an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> I had been playing for 19 minutes. <laughs> One night. Wow. So 19 minutes felt like an hour. So you're, are you, so you're saying you got your money's worth, maybe. Oh, yeah, I did. Real, real bang for your buck. They really so, condensed the fun in. So, Ian, would you recommend Shark Shark? Yeah. At, first of all, at fifteen dollars, would you recommend it? No, sir. Would you recommend it at ten dollars? No, sir. Would you how about seven ninety nine? No, sir. How about no, we're on no, no. no, two ninety nine? No. The minimum original? No, no. How does this compare to like feeding feeding frenzy from like 15, 20 years ago? I'm not good. <laughs> not good. Has it been it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look good. So graphically, it's a, it's a mess. There's graphically, no, it's a mess. There's no animation when you eat the fish; they just disappear. Are the controls the least decent? They're slow. There's no dash button. A game like this needs a dash button. There's there's no mechanic like you literally just no dash meter to get away from a shark real quicker. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was clearly I, I believe too for multiplayer. I mean I do believe that this was meant to be a multiplayer game because playing it solo sucks. 
When you die, you have to float around as a skeleton fish uh -huh. for like five to ten seconds. Really? Because in multiplayer, that's supposed to be your punishment. You get eaten and you get turned into a ghost fish for a little bit so that you can't get points. The other player get more points, gotcha. But they keep it in the single player mode. So not only do you oh, die, but then you have to swim around as, 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 as punishment. As skeleton boy. And then eat away your two hours of steam uh, time, basically. Yeah. So here's the best part about Shark Shark. And television entertainment didn't pay to develop this. This is one of the several games that was funded under that Bavarian Arts Entertainment German grant we talked about. As were about three or four other games uh, from like the uh, original run, games like Moon Patrol, I think Astro Smash, I'm not positive, Biplanes, Skiing definitely was. So they get this game, German taxpayers pay for its development, they use it to get investors to pay in, who never see a return, and to get people to pre-order a console, and then they turn around and tell them, sell the rights to the game. Yep, they sold the rights to the game. So they got all this money and they didn't even pay to make this game, which is probably made by college kids. Right well, so here's the interesting thing. I, uh, the first thing I did before I even started playing the game was I had to check the credits. I had to see what names were in the credits. I had to see if Tommy Tellerico or someone was in the credits there. Uh, he was not. There is zero mention of Tommy Tellerico in the credits of Shark Shark. The other thing that is interesting to me, and I'm, I, it's just interesting, man, I don't, I don't know if it means anything, but um, this is a game that was paid for with German grants and when you go through the credits, all the last names are suspiciously Russian. So they hired them out the cheapest possible, maybe probably right. that they could get, maybe. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, was it even developed in Germany? Uh oh, international, international controversy yeah. here, international incident. So it's interesting how this was advertised. I think I have the page uh, ready to go about how it was advertised. Oh, here's advertised on Switch. Inspired by the, the original version, and then you scroll down the original version. <coughs> Let's focus on this last line here. You said Tommy was not mentioned uh, anywhere in the game, but he's advertised. Superb sounds compiled and designed by famous game music composer Tommy Tallarico. And this is like the classic like wiggle words he uses because it's all stock music. Tommy Tallarico has won over 35 industry awards, uh, no fact check, and has worked on over 300 game titles, which we know is false at this point. And so the compiled and what was it designed? He says superb sounds compiled and designed. You'll notice not composed because it's all stock music. It's all stock music. The, the, the words compiled, yeah, you downloaded it, you yeah. picked it. You designed it. You chose which levels to put it in. If that. So just all the bare minimum effort on a game we didn't even pay to design to try to get people on board for investment and for, you know, to get pre-order money. Some real horsehockey. Uh, Ian, thank you for, give it up for Ian for putting the time to do this. I swear to God, it felt like it in Okay, out of ten, what's your what's your IGN score out of ten? Honestly, based upon what it cost, the fun you had, too much butter. Uh, I mean, it functions. Uh, so it? we'll give it a two, a two, three, two out of ten, three, three out of ten. I just feel like there's uh, there's way more you can do with that fifteen dollars. <laughs> oh yeah, you can get a couple burritos, a taco. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anything.
You can probably find like three or four good indie games for fifteen dollars. No, that, that's my exact point. I mean, there's there's better free games, lots of better with free more games, heart obviously. and soul. With probably uh, you know people that came up with original ideas, not a retread of a forty year old game. Have any of you seen Moonring? The game that just came out on Steam. It's made by one of the ex developers of Fable. It's like an Ultima type game. It's 100% free and it's huge. And it's just a labor of love and the guy did not charge anything for it. And this was uh, not a labor of love. No, this was not a labor of love. Someone shit in a bag and called it a game. <laughs> All right, this is a PG-13. It's not, it never has been and never will be. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. <laughs> All right. Ian... We are here Sorry. at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. We are. And Chief Pop, interesting that you know, we had a few years off between 2019 and it came back in 2022. A lot happened in the game collecting community in that time, including, uh, where are we going here? Astro Smash, Shark Shark. Uh, this is a lot of things, so we're talking about a lot of, uh, lot of games. We're going to talk about a lot of games. I don't have a logo here. Before we get to the topic, Wada is here. Please don't bother them. Don't harass them. Those are employees that have nothing to do with what we're going to talk about. They're just they're just employees. collectors university. Yes, they're the, the they're the parent company. So Wada Games, as we know, was founded around late 17, early 18, and there's been shenanigans that have happened uh, since then. Tom there's, Foolery? There's been Tom Foolery, there's been allegations of some uh, really weird things happening, weird relationships between uh, the founders. Knowing Jim Halperin, who runs Heritage Auctions and having exclusive deal to only auction off those games and not BGA graded games, all weird stuff. We've gone through it over the years. Carl Jost did a great video expose about it a couple years ago. It all came to crescendo in July of 2021 when, for some reason, a sealed Mario 64 sold for 1.5 million. Right after that, Collector's Universe bought Wada Games. And then all hell broke loose because people were wondering what's going on. Fast forward, a class action lawsuit, a federal class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of people that use Wada to create their games. That was, I think, July of last year. And now we have an update, Robert Stack update on the class action lawsuit. There are certain things we can share uh, with you. Uh, about the lawsuit, what's happening? Many things have come to light. There's a lot of facets, a lot of ins, a lot, a lot of, of ins, a lot of outs. Um, so, what happened earlier in the summer was important. The defense, which is Collector's Universe slash Water Games, they filed a motion to dismiss at least some of the claims. So, what are the claims going on in this lawsuit? There's contract, which is pretty much cut and dry. The contract claims are, well, you claimed on your website and all the dealings that if, we, if, if, if customers and clients pay to get your games graded, they get them back in the time that you advertise, whether it was a month, two months, three months. The problem was they were such a backlog that some folks didn't get their games back for well over a year right. or couldn't find out where their games were at. 
So obviously that's problematic because you're taking people's money and providing a service, but then a lot of people got this stuff graded to, to try to cash it on the market, probably, to, to you know get in early and get their stuff graded and put up for sale. And, and no offense, but I mean, you'll see evidence of that as you walk around the floor. There's a lot of people with graded games that don't seem to be moving. So that was, was the other half. The other half that we report in the past is the juicier stuff, some of the stuff we have talked about, some of the alleged stuff, the other part is fraud and Rico. Ricola. So Ian, do you know what Rico is? I can explain that. Go for it. I know what it is, but you can. Okay, I don't know as much as you, that's why I asked you. So Rico is racketeering something criminal organization, correct? Mm -hmm. What's the second, what's the I? That I don't remember. Okay. I, I know it is Rico. Okay. I, I'm not on a first name basis. So again, more, more easier, what is racketeering? Racketeering is the formation or use of a company to commit fraud. Yes. That is racketeering. That's why it was through the mob would get digging for racketeering because maybe they would, you know, create an olive oil company like in the Godfather or, or a construction company that made millions of dollars where they should have. Fronts. Fronts. So that's the other portion of the lawsuit. So when me when Ian and I first discussed this, we were like, well the contract stuff is pretty cut and dry. That's gonna go forward. And we were like, eh, Rico and racketeering, eh, probably not. Rico is really difficult to make stick. Sure. I, I mean it's kind of a joke when people say, oh, is this the Rico? We're gonna finally get the Rico. No, because you never do. Because you have to prove intent and right. have, besides all these uh, relationships that are together. Um, so what happened was Collector's Universe filed a motion to dismiss for everything, which, which is common in civil mm -hmm. lawsuits. The judge, though, allowed everything to move forward, not just the contract claims, but RICO and racketeering. That's really unexpected. I did which not means, in a million years think that was going to happen. Which means the judge at that point, from what he had seen and through discovery and I guess depositions, thinks there's something to it. And me as a clerical law worker, and that's almost a lawyer. Um, <laughs> I'll be your real No, I haven't. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, I have a fine-tuned uh, sense of this, uh -huh. and I, I think they're going to get taken to the, the cleaners. Well, we have some. Okay, Rico is Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. Influence. Influence. That's what Rico means. So. Uh, I just had it open, I just lost it, my Google Docs. So this is what's gonna happen. In December, by December 11th, this is all procedural stuff, this is all public. By December 11th, the motion for summary judgment that the defense will file, that will be given to the judge, uh, will probably would say, no, 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 this is gonna move forward. Um, and the class certification for the prosecution has to be put in. in. What is class certification? You probably know that better than me. I don't, I do know summary judgment though. Okay. Summary judgment is basically what someone will ask for to uh, eliminate the steps that go forward in terms of uh, discovery and things like that. Sure. Um, so it's an easy way out to just be like, please just make a, a ruling on this case without sure. it going to uh, not necessarily a court, but mediation or things sure. like that. So it gets it all the way quicker. Sure. And obviously you'd want them to file defense, be like, okay, this is nothing to throw it out. That's why mm -hmm. you want to file it. Right. So class certification. So you, you, this is class action means you have a class of people. You're all together in one group, which makes it easier for plaintiffs to sue because they don't all hire a lawyer and go after you. That's why obviously a big organization does not want a class to be certified because individuals do not have the money to sue a big multi-million dollar corporation. So the class certification happening is super important that they all sit together and can have one law firm represent them. That's very important. 
So what is going to go forward, though, or at this point? Consumer protection claims, unfair competition laws, which means, you know, that, that'll probably, I'm guessing some of this, that probably means that it was probably unfair that, like, Heritage Auctions only had an agreement, a monopoly with a lot of games. That seems unnatural, that seems unfair, and you're, you're using, you're basically promoting each other, because remember, the founder of Heritage Auctions, Jim Halperin, was also a founding board member of Lana Games. That was public for a while. And we've already been in trouble for coins in the past. Yeah, the, Fed, the Feds dinged him for weird practices in the 80s when it came to coins. So that's happening, like we, we said before. Uh, so fr fraud is going forward, uh, and then non-disclosure claim, which we're not sure about, uh, and contract claims. That's all moving forward uh, with Lana. Um, what came out also, this is public, this was found, uh, Jim Halpern, who we just mentioned, he has a charity set up, which happens, people set up 501c3s, so rich people uh, do it. It was found out that after the Collector's Universe sale went through, money was put into the Jim and Gail Halpern Foundation, their 501c3. Uh, I think it was between, I believe, around 250000 was put into their 501c, because all the tax returns and 501c3s are public. You can all look them up right now. So, it's not necessarily they were trying to hide the sale, but it's still strange to do that. Divest the funds of it. Divest the funds of it. So Jim was paying out because he was a founding member, member of Wada Games. Uh, it was also coming out that in the fall of 2021, Heritage Auctions was upset at Wada for not being able to supply a sufficient amount of product for their auctions. That's how close the relationship was. Going back and hey, where are you gonna have a certain amount of games for us? What do we, we have to expect this? So they were on a pair of like a jilted lover, being sad about a lack of attention. So they're apparently on some sort of schedule tightly knit between these two organizations. Yes, they're clearly working hand in hand. Yes. Not just all this on the face. Um, so that's another big one. Dennis Kahn, who was the president of WADA Games, Sometime after the sale of the Collector's Universe, we probably found out what is going on. Maybe we, we bought into something that uh, maybe on its surface wasn't what we think it was. He has been demoted and shuffled to the, to the side. I think it's like special acquisition or special interest. So it would look, it would look terrible if Collector's Universe bought Water Games and then fired the president. They can't do that, especially with a class action lawsuit. Right. But you're going to step down and we'll keep you on the payroll and just sit in the corner and do nothing. Dennis Kahn has already been deposed in this lawsuit. He's, he's already been grilled. And we'll see what comes out of that, because eventually that information becomes public. A lot of stuff. And, and hopefully the video will as well. Oh, the video? <laughs> I don't know about that. So, That'll be fun. So Dennis was shuffled away. And this is an interesting thing that we didn't really touch upon. Where, did any in the audience know where the name WADA comes from for WADA games? We have one or two people. We never commented on this, and it, it's, and it always rubbed me the wrong and, way. And they took it off their website. Yes, in the name, the inspiration for our name, yep. Wada, and they took this off their website because they knew it was a bad look, but they kept the name. Yeah, be like water, yes. making its way through cracks. Be water, my friend. This is a famous thing. He said this on one of his guest appearances in the early seventies. Also, did an interview on YouTube. So their name comes from. Uh, I guess I think it's Cantonese. A Cantonese accent. So they couldn't just say water. They decided they had to try to mimic the accent of Bruce Lee. It's just not cool to do that at all. And I think I forgot about it, to be honest. I think I honestly forgot about that. 
Because it's just like not something you would want to do. No. Like, why would you want to do that? Even if your intentions were good, it's just weird and insensitive to do that. So, but you know what's interesting, Ian? While I was going on the website and seeing that, I looked down on the board of directors that used to be on the website. And I found something very interesting here, which goes back to maybe something that we're going to maybe, we can guess about maybe something in the future. Four collectors, black collectors, sure. The executive team, there's good old Dennis here. There's Mark Haskell, the individual that I witnessed buying games at Too Many Games 2019. I brought it up in the law, you know, in the uh, Carl Jobs' video. Something they said would never happen, by the way. Oh, yeah. No. But he was buying and selling games. He sold a bunch of games to Seth Averson, the reporter, report on this. I scrolled down. There's the little Dennis Kahn. There's some folks. There's good old Jim Halperin. Who's this individual, you might ask? Dan Maresca. Dan Maresca was a big sealed game collector. I used to argue with Dan Maresca. His online moniker is Bronte. You argue with someone? Yeah. On a four on a ten away. My favorite website. I used to argue with Dan a lot about because he was a big still a game collector. He, he was down to only one or two he needed. This is like 2010, 2009, 2011. We used to get to arguments uh, a lot of times. So the reason I bring up this individual a spotlight them is because you remember Ian what kicked off. Way back in early 2019, what kicked off? Uh, what sale kicked all this off for? Like, wow, this is this is the this is the new high mark of, of, of any video game seller. Uh, Mario, hundred hundred thousand. The hundred thousand dollar NES, I think, it was the second printing uh, gloss sticker, Super Mario Brothers. Bring it all home, Pat. And at the time, it was unknown who the seller was. Oh, not anymore. Guess who was the seller of the Super Mario Brothers that sold the game to this individual? Uh, where's Jim? Where's Jim? Where's Jim? You passed him. You got passed him. This individual sold the game, one of the buyers, to someone who found a lot of games and was the founder of Heritage Auctions. It was this fellow who owned the Super Mario Brothers. Inside business. Why do you think they never wanted to publicize who sold the games? Or who sold the game? Because it would look skeezy, unethical, and maybe, in my opinion, fraudulent. This is a totally natural sale. <laughs> if this was known... There's nothing to see here. We didn't know this back then. Carl Jost didn't know this when he did his big expose video a couple of years ago. Do you think this would have got people talking? Do you see how these relationships, there might be something going on with you? Yeah. And then that sale, remember then, uh, through Richard Lecce, who was one of the, the three individuals we knew at the time that purchased it, which maybe something else was going on, we'll see. That was the one that went on Pawn Stars later in 2019. So it went from the most, the, the most expensive game before that, I believe, was a seal stain event around 30, 35,000. Then they jump it up. They, in my opinion, pitted, manufacture You're a louder sale, louder. manufacture a sale for PR reasons, which got out. All these websites did articles. People on YouTube were doing uh, videos about this new sale, the new high. It went from 100, it went from 35,000 to 100,000 to later in the year, 
Oh, I think it's worth a million dollars, maybe. That's what I want on Pawn Stars. And Dennis Kahn then says, this, you know, in articles and on the show, well, the sky's the limit with these games. This all happened in less than a year. $35,000, most expensive game, to might be a million, might be several hundred thousand. All, in my opinion, manufactured. Here's the thing about civil lawsuits, Ian. When you do discovery, what happens? I mean, everything comes up. You can get records of email communications. You can get... That's what I do. Discovery is very, very interesting. You literally get everything. They just drop boxes. I mean, proverbial at this point, but boxes and boxes and boxes of documents. You don't ever want to go... Through discovery. Through discovery, unless you are 100% fucking sure. You are squeaky clean. So here's the thing. I can't say for sure... But we have misrepresentation as one of the claims going forward. We have a fraud. We have all these things that I'm not saying it's going to come out in discovery. But what if in discovery, some of this information comes out between, hey, what were these people saying to each other? What agreement did they have? When did they have the agreements between uh, Dan Maresca, between Jim, uh, Jim Halperin, Richard Lecce, and Dennis Kahn, and any other buyers that were there? Because they put out a press release saying there were three buyers and it was all legit and well, they'll get that they'll, they'll get that i mean one of the main things you get these days is electronic communication you will get literally every email so if it comes out I'm not saying it will but if it comes out there are shenanigans going on we will learn then potentially that the spark that lit this fuse of this speculative in my opinion bullshit Graded game bubble was all built on a fraudulent purchase back in 2019 with a $100,000 sale. Yo. Can't say it for sure, but it looks weird. Tell me what I'm telling lies. All right, how's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? <laughs> we have about seven, eight, nine minutes for Q&A. About anything we're having up to, uh, about if you should, you know, wash your rice before you boil it. About you should. <laughs> future N64 books, whatever. Yes, sir, the beard. Uh, is this what we call investing in television? <laughs> investing in television? <clears throat> is there anyone here that did not get that joke when they watched that video? Sure. Thank you. Is there going to be another episode at all of Petty Pat? Another episode of Petty Pat? I don't know. People have come out and done smear videos trying to attack me. It's almost like I don't want to give them too much, too much, uh, you know, credit or too much shine. I just don't sit around in the poison, man. It's not yeah. worth it. I think I think the people that I took out were worth taking out. One of them had been a long time coming. You know, I did understand the in television joke uh, that Frank said. So we'll see. Did you enjoy Petty Pat? Yeah, I love the. You, you love the jingle? I'm good at jingles. Uh, Ian, yeah, my mom. Uh, Ian, what's up? Last meal, next meal. Uh, okay, so last, last, meal, meal, what yes? last meal, next meal. Last meal was Thai food. I ordered it late last night. I did not do well at eating. I wish I could remember where it was from. I got um, Sam Tham, which is the spicy green papaya salad. I got it as hot as I possibly could, and it makes me happy every time. It's cold, it's sweet, it's tangy, it burns your face. It's incredible. I also got uh, chicken satay, and Ooh, I got I got uh, one of the one of the all time greats in terms of food. Uh, crab meat rangoon. 
Next meal, I'm going to a place called Slow Bar, and I think I'm going to have steak frites. Oh, yes, in the hat. Um, so I so I was wondering after you publish uh, uh, the N64 guide, if you were going to um, continue on with other consoles, because because as you know, N64 gets a lot more complicated past that to keep going on. Are you going to be like? Can you see, you see yourself in like seven years doing like we knew? Ian, for my mental health and my life, I'm not letting Pat do another book ever again. He's because I can't take it. He's done. That's yes. Quick uh, tale from the GameCon. Last night I overheard someone at dinner telling his friend about the Polymega. He thinks it's the best thing ever, but he couldn't remember the name. <laughs> That's actually funny. That's he hilarious. He got his phone oh. and he asked his phone, what do all retro gamers want? He scrolled a little bit and he said, oh, polyamory. That's what it is. <laughs> so my question is this, you're releasing a console called the Polyamory. What three games do you okay. want uh, we liked your vibe. Uh, that, that's that's one uh, at the end of the bar. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Pineapples is something else that swingers do. They love pineapples. Uh, Full in the pool. Full dick in the pool. Yeah, we want the end. Yeah. So when uh, H Bomber guys Tommy Tallarico video came out and like blew up, as someone who had been sort of following it really closely through you guys for like five years, it was really trippy seeing like sort of less nerdy people like become aware of Sure. Yeah, a yeah. wider audience for sure. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. The HBR Bomber Guy stuff was interesting because um, I think he was aware of our stuff. He was in our chat when we premiered our response to that uh, video. And so it was nice to see someone with a much bigger reach like like Carl Jobs, the same thing with the WADA. It's not that it's like recognition, but the, the, the message has to get out there whatever way. And it was great to see that. And and he was too nice on him, knowing that we know now that it's come out that Tommy did almost none of the soundtracks he took credit for. Before, he should have kept his mouth shut, because then people would be like, oh, he worked on Earthworm Jim at least, and Terminator, you know, Sega CD. They'd be like, no, he didn't really do that stuff either. Like, other people did some of that work, and it was like, oh, it gets worse and worse and worse. According to the nice lady in the back, I think we have time for two more. We got three minutes left. Uh, yes. So with this water games thing, uh, what do you think that's going to do to the speculation market as far as bursting games going forward? The bubble's already burst. We talked on the podcast. So there's some games that have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Tech Mobile we covered a couple months ago on one of our specials went from one forty four to five thousand dollars in like a year and a half. And like I said, um, those games are all over the floor right now, and I've uh, seen no one picking them up or interested in them at all. Someone had a, like a NBA Jam TE nine point eight for Sega Genesis, and it's like I am so sorry. You're saddled with that, but you're never getting rid of it. Um, the person that harassed me last year while I was setting up my booth, um, I don't think probably here this year, they probably, they were a big speculative buyer. They said, you know, you're wrong. It's just a correction in the market. Uh, they probably lost three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars probably in this market. If I had to guess, I might be low. The only reason um, people get this angry about stuff is because they're losing money it's and money. they're trying to pretend they're not losing money. Good time for a couple more questions, I think. Yes, all the way uh, back there. Do you guys still receive any voicemails from Tommy Tallarico? We do not receive voicemails from Tommy Tallarico. All right. Uh, and the hat back there. Uh, for Ian, um, could you recommend uh, two of Gordo's top-down schmucks for the Saturn? Two affordable Saturn. Oh, Jesus. Affordable? <laughs> uh, 
no, I'm sorry. I don't think I can, and I mean that realistically. That's more my wife's venue. She loves the Saturn, and I wish I could give you an answer because I love that question, but I just don't think they're really... I mean, at this point, Radiant Silver Gun is probably affordable compared to most of them, and that's a fun one. I feel like that game's always $200, and at this point, a Saturn game that's only $200 that you want to play, you might as well go for it. Oh, one or two more. Yes. Uh, maybe this would be more toward Ian, but is there a possibility of a Game Boy guidebook? So, there will not be a Game Boy guidebook. However, I do... Um, my friend Rick and I kind of do a Game Boy of the Month thing, uh, Game Boy Game of the Month thing called Yokoi Kids. We've been doing it for many years. Yeah. We did a volume one zine, which I feel like zine's kind of a silly name because it was thick. Um, we did that and it was for charity. Okay. Um, and I, we're working on a volume two now. Okay, is that like on like a website? Is that on the no, we'll announce it when we do it. Okay. Like we're in production of it right now. We're getting the articles and the art and everything together, and we're pretty close. One last question. Yes, in the Triforce shirt. Sorry, let's all the shirt. Oh no, this is. Yeah. So, would you consider ever doing another book, video game, or not console related? Well, uh, I want to do something in the future. I'd rather do fiction. Nonfiction is hell because nonfiction. I guess the whole game is try to be. As uh, try to screw up as little as possible in nonfiction because it's facts and it's just like it's a little bit too much for me anymore to try to deal with and I try to do the best I can. That's why these books take years to do. I don't just shit them out as Ian would say. And a bag. Um, and a bag. Shit them in a bag. So that's why this might be the last one. I might do a second revision or a second edition of the NES book because that's going to sell out again, the third printing. So I might clean that up but I'll let you do second like you'll revisions. let me do that I'll let you do revisions but and no then you get right into romance all right romance novels all right and this romance will continue maybe for a little longer thanks everyone for coming out to the world of the next one so Ian we had a great time at Portland Retro Gaming Expo this past weekend we talked about the update uh oh update Oh, where's my number? Update. Update on the WADA class action lawsuit. We also spoke about your great review of Shark Shark. Uh, <laughs> yes. The, 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 the exclusive Amico game that's not exclusive. Um, and so we come back, you know, we come back home and then we see an announcement out of nowhere, like an RKO, the Analog 3D, an FPGA N64 console. Has wow, been, say what? Has been announced by Analog. Says coming in 2024. Um, sort of, sort of, almost, almost hit us like, like, remember when the, uh, the first emulator came out? Uh, in what was that, like 99 or so? Or 2000? Uh, yeah, probably about the HLE emulator that came out. And it was like, people were like, wow, this is out of nowhere. And this sort of hit the same way. Um, we had always talked about how terrible in terms of accuracy, in terms of how things look, how it's represented, mm -hmm. um, the N64 emulation can be for some of the games. Uh, and while there's been big strides made in the emulator scene, the issues were always the fact that the lesser known games always were giving short, you know, sh short change because you want to focus on the ones people are playing. And the fact that you need a really robust, powerful PC with a good graphics card in order to get the games to look, to look like they did closer to it on the original hardware. Right. So an FPGA 
would be like the godsend uh, to some of us, uh, especially if, you know, for modern TVs, because then you're getting, you know, uh, low latency. You're, you are getting the ability to play these on an LCD TV and not have them look like trash and also get all the, the benefits. So what was your uh, initial uh, takeaway? You saw the announcement. Well, I mean, my, my takeaway is that on a technical level, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see this. Um, you know, people always, I, I, you know, I think the announcement, uh, there was, um, uh, a talk with the, uh, the owner of the company or the founder. And, uh, basically he said, this is the one that nobody thought was possible. And I always thought it was kind of possible. I mean, I, with FPGA technology, you would be able to do it, but it would be a long road. And uh, Christopher Tabor, the founder, did say that it took them, uh, they had been working on it for the last three years, which feels like a a, a long amount of time. And I'm sure most of that, you know, is, is the core. Um, I also felt relief. Uh, I felt a lot of relief, a big, huge sense of relief, uh, because I don't want this. I, I have no desire to own this. Uh, so it's the first time in a while that analog has made something that I don't want. So I think it's great. <laughs> sure. I think it's really cool for the people who do want it. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's probably going to sell like fucking gangbusters for them. Uh, I'm just happy that after a run of, uh, you know, FPGA Genesis, FPGA Game Boy, Game Boy Advance Color and other stuff and FPGA, you know, uh, PC Engine. We're finally on another system that I just I don't want. So that's great. That's wonderful. Saves saves me money. So he's uh, thinking just selfishly, I don't need to buy this. So that's good. OK, <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's good. So I, I'm happy in two ways. I'm happy for the people who do want this and I'm happy that I don't want this and I can keep the money in my pocket. So sure. it's no offense. I just I don't I don't like the N64 enough to ever make use of something like this uh appropriately so this this uh, is announced with wireless bluetooth and 2.4 g there's an image of the controller the purported ape <laughs> controller well it's been it's been lightened with people you can find oh, okay. a lightened image of that um we'll get to that in a second four original style controller ports that's one of the reasons i i really like the analog consoles because they give you original ports you're not forced to just use usb or something proprietary yeah sometimes they just put them in really fucking weird places like on the analog duo well maybe once you we get we'll get to the announcement when that's coming out uh completely engineered in fpga analog os uh, no emulation meaning no software emulation because it's fpga uh so you're you're trying to get close to as possible with modern you know hardware and chips to the original you're writing it on on a very you know very very uh, you know, lower level in terms of hardware so that basically all the pros and cons of the original hardware are, are exactly, in theory, will be exactly the same if it's written well, the FPGA. And with the track record of analog between the Mini NT and the uh, Mega SG, which you liked, you own, uh, the Super NT, and of course the Pocket that we both gloat about, you know, you would you would think, do the track record, it would be the same same level of quality. So well, I, I, I don't think, uh, and this isn't meant to like sound like I'm blowing them, but I don't think Analog would would announce this and release it if they weren't pretty fucking confident in it. Correct. Um, I mean, there's a reason, like, everyone talks about how this one it would be hard. You know, I guess some people, you know, did say it wouldn't be possible or it wouldn't be possible without, you know, a lot of effort or errors. I don't think they want to risk looking bad. And I don't think the people who are behind the actual 
FPGA portion of it would release a product but, that they were not um, pe- extremely happy with. People can bitch about not liking analog's release schedule or the pre-orders. I do all the, the time. Or their marketing. But, but the, their final I'm, products are the best products in terms of what you are getting versus the bang for the buck, in my opinion. Yeah, I disagree with a lot of stuff they do, but I mean, I've never been shy about this. I've always been extremely happy with any of their products that I've ended up with that I have used. I love my pocket. I love my pocket so much that I haven't even hacked it yet, and it's not that I'm against that. It's just I haven't needed to. I bought it to play my cartridge games on a beautiful screen, and it does that flawlessly. I loved uh, my Mega SG. I've played the analog uh, Super NT. You know, I, I, I just... Yeah, it's, it's it's when you get it in your hands, you you kind of forget the bullshit and you're like, yeah, this is a quality product. Uh, so this is the marketing reimagining of the N64 4K resolution, original display modes. Which So I wanted to bring this up because yeah. our buddy, I think it was Daniel Greenberg who said this. And if it wasn't, uh, then my bad. But um, someone was like, you know, this is neat. But the N64, and I, I do agree with this a little bit. The N64 is one of those systems that has benefited more than lost uh with emulation you know people talk about inaccuracies with emulation and things like that but it's the it's the extra stuff the graphical things you can do the frame rate things you can do with the n64 and emulation uh have been beneficial especially with a system that's as old as it is and was always kind of in a in a weird spot graphically um with draw distances and all that However, original display modes, much like the pocket, uh, means that they have probably acknowledged this and there probably will be modes that um, at least affect the the output quality. Yeah, because I, because that's the one thing, one of the issues when doing the book was the, the fact that you needed these computer and, and GPU intensive filters to make them look like the original hardware, because if not, it looks like just any standard computer game you know, that came out in the late 90s where the right. angles are too angular, it looks too clean, you lose the original intent of the artwork by right. having it look too clean and nice. Yeah, this is going to be a system that, you know, and I'm sure they're doing it, but really put some effort into the the scan lines and the CRT type filter because the 64 just does not look right without that to kind of hide it and dither the polygons and stuff like sure. that. Sure. So original display modes, so I'm happy about that, and reference quality requisite recreations uh, or representations of specific specific model CRTs and PBMs. So there's, there's going to be, I guess, a layer on top where it's like, okay, now we're going to pretend you have this CRT, and then so that's pretty cool. And they have the, they had these on the other consoles as well, as we know. That's sort of like you can pretend you're, you know, you're, you're playing it on a, on a CRT or, you know, scan lines. Uh, the first and only aftermarket solution supporting 100% compatibility in every region: USA, Europe, and Japan. That's great. Coming Remains into to be the, seen, but again, we don't necessarily have any reason to doubt what they're saying. Here. They, they they haven't let us down yet uh, in right. terms of that stuff. And coming in 2024. Okay, so it's exciting um, as someone who's gone through heck of putting together this new guidebook and, and now that i'm a lot more familiar with the overall library obviously i i'm in the market for this i own uh, i own games i also have the flash cart so I'm, I'm in for that obviously um so the controller they, they showed 
if, if you if you see a lightened up version, it's practically a Switch Pro controller, um, except that it has um, only I think the one analog because N sixty four only has one analog, um, and it has you know the top four buttons have the arrows on them. You know, so like so it's six button layout. It's closer to the layout versus obviously Switch Pro. It's closer to an N sixty four controller button layout versus a Switch Pro controller. So right. unfortunately, though, it doesn't have the tri wing, which means that you would be unable to easily play some of the games, you know, because the reason why there's three, three different, you know, wings on a 64 controller, because you want to hold it for using the D pad mainly or the analog. So that's why it's like, well, we're the two hands are moving left or right. Or, or I did grab because it looks so, like that. It looks like an almost like an analog nub in the center. And I did grab a switch controller, and I think it'll be fine. You know, sure. I was putting my thumb where it is. But so it is so, odd that they. It is odd that they don't have the uh, the the third handle. Sure. But then again, a lot of people don't fucking like that third handle. So sure, and and there's tons of people that have new old not new old stock, no, not not new old stock. They have old controllers, and there's lots of aftermarket solutions for the n64 nowadays there's modern there's modern n64 controllers you can buy so like that so to me that, that doesn't matter i don't need an 8-bit dope controller to experience it i i have plenty of regular sure. n64 controllers so um like i said i'm excited about this uh the fpga according to the article the system has been in work for for is for years that's obviously most of that's the fpga to make sure the fpga is up to up to code um yeah, so right. yeah the, the, the terms of the pricing um, I hope it's still in the same range, you know, the 200 to 250 range as what did the duos cost us that are on the way, which we'll get to. Uh, I think they cost us at the time. The like 250 I, I thought it was cheaper or maybe they upped the price before the pre-order because I think they announced it at 199 and then, yeah, I don't know. Whatever so, you took out of my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they cost. I got you. Um, I ordered. They, I they are on the website at two fifty. I, I know the analog okay. pocket prices went up. I I think with the way the prices pricing is going, I'm going to guess that they will announce this at two fifty. I can't see it being any cheaper. I would think so. It doesn't have a disc drive to put in. You know, it, I don't think that's going to matter though. I uh, think once you get into people's minds that it's over two hundred, I I I know that the pocket was that because it has a screen and all that sure. i know the uh the duo has a disc drive but i think once people are used to paying over 200 i don't think they're going to drop back down to their old pricing so oh no i think I'm, it'll be 250 i'm just saying i don't think it'll be like 300 i think 250 oh no no i think I, it'll I land think... at 250 and i think that'll be most people will be like yeah well, i think that's fair for some the, people for may sneer at me for this but personally i've always felt like outside of the crazy shipping i've always felt like the base price that they give most of their um their mass produced units basically the uh super nt the mega sg um uh the pocket and the duo i think they've all been reasonable sure for uh, what you get and then especially I'm... when you compare like something like the uh you know when you when you compare something neat niche like the uh the duo with what it would cost you to get a a a modified system sure an original system that would do what that does the prices you know look very reasonable yeah and people are going to say well you know you can get there's like the eon gaming hdmi upgrade there are other ways there's kits you can have to make your n64 you know upscale it for a modern tv but again having an archival quality console all in one out of the box a commercial quality FPGA, we assume, uh, with 100% compatibility, that's that appeals to me. 
That well, and let's take, not yeah. forget, you know, I mean, they it, it, it's unspoken, but um, this will be cracked and then it turns into a flashcard as well. So you'll have your system and your player all in one if you load it up with your ROMs. Like you're 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 good. You're going to be good to go. Sure. If it gets cracked, you're saying like you can just put the ROM. It will get ROMs cracked. On. I mean, they all get cracked. But sure. yeah, exactly. So you... so this one is not quite the same, I think, as like the duo where it is genuinely a price saving, uh, you know, a money saving um, proposition. But I still don't think it's going to be that t- too far out. You know, you get an N64 in really nice shape right now. I'm going to guess 80 to 100, and then you're going to be paying, you know, anywhere from 100 to, I think some of those HDMI kits are still really expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, price-wise, it, it it evens out. I, yeah, it's not it's not bad. Sure. Well, well I, I guess with the caveat that this is, is you know, region-free region versus, you know, an N64. True. that too. Although region, making your system region-free is a matter of taking a piece of plastic out. Sure. Get the pliers in there, just snap it off. Like, yeah. like like you can with the Super Nintendo for Super Famicom games. Oh, you literally can just open it up and there's like a, a gray plastic tray. You unscrew it and take it off and boom, you're region free. Sure. So like I said, I, I think I'll be, be in for this. I have everything but the Mega SG that they've come out with. Um, I get, Yeah, I have, a, I have a Mini NT, but I haven't really played with it a lot. Um, and obviously the Pocket, we both loved that. And uh, yeah, so other, thing, other things they announced... At the time, Analog Duo shipping end of 2023. There you go. I forgot. Well, what I mean, it was always was. said to be shipping in 2023. Um, I mean, end of. So I guess we can expect what December. December. I'm not going to hold out hope for November. Sure. Analog pocket adapters are on target to ship by end of 2023. There you go. I still got to probably get in on that to make you know to have a basically Turbo Express and have a links, uh, you know, in my hands. Um, analog OS 2.0 will be released by the end of 2023 with open FPGA display mode support. I don't know what that entails. I'm, I haven't kept up with the analog OS. I think stuff. that's going to be more for the pocket, and um, I think that's more pocket oriented because I think that's where a lot of the analog OS stuff is. Is the pocket is all of their systems seem to be pretty standalone, but the pocket definitely seems to be like the FPGA development sure home. Uh, within within analog and it makes sense sure um what i'm curious about you know that we've i think we've talked about before is what's going to happen with the duo are we going to see cores for something like a playstation can we uh what's you know what's the speed on the disk drive is it variable um i'm going to be really interested in seeing if the duo can kind of become what the pocket is uh in terms of um, for disk-based break, breaking out into more systems that's interesting i i would think that i don't know enough I, to say that that's possible i mean for all i know that disk drive could make it very restrictive to do any of that but i'm curious i would think that now that we're approaching mid-90s stuff we're, we're following along with you know analog's products starting with you know the mid-80s and now we're getting to mid-90s uh i, I would think that that would be a smart one to do next do do the original playstation i think yeah that's see, that's um, what i want i um and and so the thing is i like the analog products that i i buy mostly because i actually have the physical games to play on them and i want to play them in a better way whether it's in my hand or on a tv with the pocket or the sg if something were to happen where they could do a playstation 
they did a PlayStation or if a PlayStation Core came out for, um, you know, the Duo, that would be probably the first time where, just to admit it out loud, that I would be excited about specifically for cracking and loading up so that you don't have to deal with a whole bunch of CDs that get scratched. This sure. that, and the next thing like that would be the one where I actually would like day one. I'd be like, all right, let's 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 rip this open and, and get it going. Um, or or obviously the other one would be the Saturn. Do it. Do a Saturn. Um, obviously, yeah. PlayStation has a much larger audience, but it's not like a hardcore sort of following like like mm. the Saturn is. Well, uh, sure, sure. I mean, as time has gone on, the Saturn, yeah, because of its not obscurity, but because of its kind of like also ran nature, um, that does kind of increase the 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 cult aspect of it. Or if they say screw it, we're gonna blow this out. They do a PS2 slash PS1 core, you know, and then just just have that as an as an all in one and just do it like that. I don't think they would skip the step just because I feel like playstation one might not be as confusing as something like the n64 but i have a feeling it would be a time consuming one to do but again i don't know this shit i don't know sure. i'm just talking out of my ass sure like, like, i don't know how, how much part of the ps2 core because obviously it has the emulation built into it for, for ps1 mm. uh, for ps2 ps2 did not use emulation it's hard it's, oh, it's oh, hardware oh that's what i mean okay so it's hard so yeah so that's maybe that'd be part of the core so you're basically doubling up the work all in one yeah, on the PS2. That's what I mean. Like you're not you're not repeating. You're, it's not two distinct products at that point. You know, yeah, it's even like, on the PS3, PS1, and most people don't know this. All PS3s will play PS1 games, and I believe that's 100% hardware. Mm -hmm. uh, the first round of PS3s, PS2 was, I believe, hardware emulated. It had the emotion and or hardware run because it had the emotion engine in it the later ones used emulation for the PS2. But I do believe PlayStation One has always at least in the Sony systems, it's always been done via hardware. Sure. So we'll see what comes because now they're doing one console a year. About um, it seems they're releasing like one a year. So I'm not saying another one's going to come out, uh, you know, in 2025. But it seems like they're well, obviously... the duo in the pocket were announced the same year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the duo is the year the pocket was announced. The duo was announced much like the uh 3d is announced now you got the it's coming but you didn't get the um you didn't get the pre-order information because the the duo was pre-orders were only earlier this year weren't they oh was it or like they... january or february i, th oh, I thought or was it late yeah. last year within the past year it was, yeah. so it was yeah so we're on a track for like one product a year which means that these F it's almost guaranteed that there's another fpga at least one in development that on their team for the next product. Well, yeah, I mean, as yeah. they as they work through these these uh, 90s, these 80s and 90s systems, they got to think of what they're doing next because there is, you know, technically a finite number of products they can create in the in the range that they're doing now. Sure. So, so we have so I'm interested in how far they'll go with it. Yeah, P P uh, PS1. We have the Saturn. If they ever want to try to do a Jaguar one for those hardcore Jaguar fans. <laughs> you know, and then you get to the 2000s. You get the Dreamcast which obviously there'd be a, I think a big audience for the Dreamcast, um, and then we'll see, we'll see if, if you know if the, if the people involved in the company still want to be doing it in 2030. At that point, <laughs> oh, it's it's the Wii FPGA console coming. Out. Hey, one day that might be a thing. We'll be we'll be 78 years old, but that might be a thing one day. You know, with with the, with the upgraded motion bar. 
So anyway, so like I said, I'm excited for it. Um, I'll, I'm on board for it. Even if you're not, we can, uh, we can still, we can still have fun with it. I mean, I'd, I'd love to check it out. I just, I know that it's, you know, it's one more that's out there for someone else to get. <laughs> sure. 